A few weeks ago, when I talked to the All About Android crew about the state of Android, we said the word Google quite a bit. So are the words Google and Android synonymous? Well, Huawei has a thing or two to say about that, and we're going to talk about it. It's the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. Hello and welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we have a very special guest joining us. Daniel Bader is the managing editor of Android Central, and he's Canadian, which means he loves hockey, is obsessively polite, but it also means that he can buy a Huawei phone if he wants to. So he tested the Huawei P40 Pro, and he loves that phone. But the P40 Pro does not support Google services, and I wanted to find out what that was like. But first, of course, we need to jump into the news of the week. Before we get started, I need to enter a correction into the record. My TCL 10 Pro review took a few seconds to mock TCL for placing the selfie camera in a dutch. TCL reached out to me afterward and clarified that the Dutch is only what they call the selfie cam space on the 10L, not the 10 Pro. So it's still ridiculous, but only on half the phones, which I think makes everything all better. Thank you very much for that correction, TCL. Not sure how I missed this, but as it turns out, IFA will take place in Berlin this year. That's right, the little conference that could will rise despite Oktoberfest being cancelled. I mean, if Germans shut down a beer festival, the world must be ending, right? The redefined IFA will be a smaller event and not open to the general public unlike before. And IFA has a chance here to show just how tech conferences well, any conference, really, can still be run under the new normal, at least until a COVID-19 vaccine is developed. I know my wife is crossing her fingers and toes that her romance novel convention in Las Vegas this October isn't canceled, and yes, they have romance novel conventions, and yes, my wife goes to them. IFA going forward as planned is great news because many, many, many manufacturers will be there displaying the best of the best. And I'm sure after MWC's cancellation, many are chomping at the bit to get some new products out there. Should be fun. I'll be watching from home, unfortunately, unless, of course, my Patreon blows up between now and then. Here's hoping. Seriously, though, I'm probably not going. Peter Chow was one of the co-founders of HTC and held the CE office as recently as 2015 before stepping down. Now he's announced his latest project, XR Space, which is a social-focused VR space along with its own VR headset, the XR Space MOVA. The headset starts at $599, which, yes, is a full $200 more than the Oculus Quest. But there is a one-generation newer chipset in there, the Snapdragon 845, plus native hand tracking, plus a full 100 grams lighter, which, trust me, when something is strapped to your face, 100 grams is not nothing. Oh, plus this headset has onboard 5G, which unfortunately is still kind of nothing. XR Space is being designed as a VR space world from start to finish, focused on collaboration and working together. We talked last week about Spatial, basically Zoom for VR. This could be something similar to that. Normally, I'd look at that price tag and how it compares to the Quest, and then I'd look at the fact that this headset does not say Oculus on it, and I'd call it DOA. However, 
Peter Chow was the big man on campus at HTC when the Vive headset debuted, and that headset did everything right, right out of the gate. As a matter of fact, the HTC Vive is really only one of the reasons HTC is still a thing these days, and again, that's not nothing. So I honestly think that if anyone can make this work, it's probably him. Of course, he's also trying to catch lightning in a bottle twice, so maybe don't hold your breath. We attempted to make history this week, and for the record, the script was already written on Friday, so it may have actually happened by the time this podcast comes out. But SpaceX and NASA attempted to send up the first crewed mission to space, which, by the way, is a mission with a crew, not a mission that is crewed. But anyway, it's the first launch from U.S. soil since 2011. That launch was meant to happen on Wednesday, but it got scrubbed after bad weather threatened the launch because it's 2020, am I right? These poor guys were strapped into their seats like three hours before launch, and it was all for nothing. The launch was rescheduled for this weekend, so we'll see how things go, although the latest weather reports did not look promising. Probably I'll just report on it next week, but it would have been cool if Mother Nature hadn't kept getting in the way. Try to turn in a school paper with Wikipedia in the bibliography, and it will not go well. However, to the rest of the not-in-school population, Wikipedia is a precious resource, and I for one am eternally grateful for the community of volunteers that maintains the mind-boggling number of articles on the site. I donate every year, and speaking of donating, patreon.com slash benefit of a doubt, and I thank you. Well, that community of volunteers is pretty much like every other space on the internet, which is to say it's white, male-dominated, opinionated, and subject to harassment by members. Surprised? I did say this was on the internet, right? Okay, then. Well, the Wikimedia Foundation decided to draft a formal code of ethics specifically to reduce harassment and hopes that it'll have it in place by the end of the year. According to The Verge, one Wikipedia editor went on to argue that, quote, the Wikimedia Foundation shouldn't interfere with Wikipedia's community moderation and somehow didn't see the irony in saying that Wikipedia shouldn't try to moderate Wikipedia. Look, I get it, folks. All the white dudes over in the community have gotten used to the way things are run around here, and if Karen's going to get all teary-eyed or some libtard is going to run to their safe space anytime a revision of theirs gets rejected, then this whole thing's going to fall apart. And by the way, no it won't, but you just might, and you'll get no sympathy from us. Folks, I gotta be honest with you. I was in the home stretch of publishing this podcast when I reconsidered basically everything I said in this particular section. You see, this week, Twitter tagged a couple of Donald Trump's tweets with fact-checking, and Trump kind of lost it. Mark Zuckerberg came on the news and said, I told you so. Trump issued an executive order trying to make it possible for people to sue Twitter, and then Twitter actually put a disclaimer up on another Trump tweet. And folks, nothing good is coming from this. Now, there were like four news stories here that I covered in my usual style, including a terrible, terrible Russian accent. But at the end of the day, it felt off. This is a tech show, and this week tech collided with politics in a big way, and it's just frankly not in my wheelhouse. Honestly, some of what Twitter did here was right, some of it was wrong. Some of what Trump did was right, some of it was wrong. 
Okay, it was mostly wrong, but that's not the point. I've left the stories in the show notes at benefitofadoubt.com. Feel free to read up on them. In the meantime, I'm going to abide by my policy to never discuss religion or politics with someone less apathetic than myself. When and if anything actual happens, instead of just some snipe war between Trump and the CEO, we'll talk about it. For now, I'm staying out. HBO Max is HBO's fourth streaming service, joining HBO Go, HBO Now, and just plain HBO in the ranks. Some will be able to upgrade directly from HBO Now. Some will get it along with their HBO cable subscription. Others will not, depending on your provider, and that's all just really messed up. Regardless, HBO Max did launch with all eight Harry Potter films, and that's almost as many hours of entertainment as the entire run of Marvel movies. Also coming to the service are Big Bang Theory and Friends, but what Big Bang Theory and Friends are not coming to are Roku and Amazon Fire TV players because HBO apparently hates money. No word on when those set-top boxes will support the service, but there's literally three others that you can try out in the meantime, so it's probably not too bad. Facebook launched a new app designed to facilitate voice calls between people. You remember when people actually talked on the phone? I know, it was really weird. But this app is designed to help facilitate voice calls because the user is able to set their status as free to take a call. Facebook's idea is that people don't call these days because, well, they might be interrupting something, and so that's why they send a text instead. This way, if a person actively sets their status to willing to accept a call, crazy as that may sound, people might actually be inclined to, you know, call. I don't know, call me old-fashioned, but just call them. You're not afraid of interrupting, you're afraid of being rejected. But trust me, a little rejection can help you grow, build character. You want to grow and build character, don't you? So call me. Like, you know, go to benefitofadow.com slash contact and call the voicemail line. I mean, I won't answer because I ain't got time for that. But you know that going in, so there's no rejection here. See how that works? No? All right, fine. Send me an email. The Google Pixel 4 shipped with a new system it called Soli, which was basically radar built into the front-facing cameras on the phone. With it, you could utilize a collection of air gestures to control your phone's media, turn pages, stuff like that. The thing is, it really didn't work as well as advertised out of the box, and it tended to suck down a lot of battery, which made it sort of a useless gimmick. Well, Google just released a Soli Sandbox app to help developers come up with new and fun... Okay, I'll be honest, to help developers come up with any way to use Soli. On the one hand, I commend Google for trying new things to spark interest in its new technology. But on the other hand, Soli never really worked well to begin with, so I don't think there's much to work with here overall. And speaking of not much to work with, I don't have a lot to say about this next story because I'm really not that level of geek. But for those of you who like to tinker, there's a new version of the Raspberry Pi available with 8GB of RAM on board, which for the record is more than on my current phone. I've never really been one to tinker with Raspberry Pis, though I have enjoyed the results frequently, so this is really good news. It's just not news that I can add a lot of insight to because I'm a moron. Sorry. 
A little inside baseball for you. One of my listeners reached out to me, benefitofadoubt.com slash contact, by the way, and mentioned that I've been swearing a lot. And you know what? They were totally right. Every now and then, I need someone to rein me in and be like, hey there, buckaroo, let's ease off on the F-bombs, okay? Then we both smile and we go along our merry way. But this next story... Oh my god, this next story. I don't think I can hold it back. But I get it. I tend to go overboard. So for this story, instead of swear words, I'll just put in a clip of me banging my head on my desk. And you'll find out why in a second. There is a company in England selling $400 5G BioShield USB drives. These drives are basically USB keys that you plug into your computer and it protects you from harmful 5G effects. And there's so much wrong with that statement. I I just can't. But just listen to this description from the website of the BioShield Distribution, which is the company that sells this. According to them, the device, quote, provides protection for your home and family thanks to wearable holographic nanolayer catalyzer which can be worn or placed near to a smartphone or any other electrical, radiation, or EMF-emitting device. Through a process of quantum oscillation, the 5G BioShield USB key balances and reharmonizes the disturbing frequencies arising from the electric fog induced by devices such as laptops, cordless phones, Wi-Fi, tablets, etc. Investigators opened up the $400 device and surprise! It's a USB drive with 128 gigabytes of storage which you can buy wholesale from China for about five bucks a pop. Oh, and how did this come to the BBC's attention? Well, a member of the Glastonbury Town Council's 5G Advisory Committee named Toby Hall said his family uses the device and finds it helpful. He's on the... 5G Advisory Committee? I have to go. I have a headache. Some subscribers to YouTube Premium woke up to a surprise in their mailboxes. Google is giving away free Nest Minis to subscribers of the service, presumably as a thank you for using Not Spotify. Now, this might not be totally surprising because Google is not shy about giving away these speakers. I have three of them in my house, well, (laughs) soon four, and I haven't paid for any of them. Presumably Google has a warehouse or three filled with these things because people keep buying Echo Dots rather than Nest Minis. But anyway, if you click the link in the show notes, you can check to see if you are getting one as well. You have to have been a subscriber to YouTube Premium since before May 20th to qualify. When you choose your color, the total will show up as $49.95, and seriously, they're still selling these things for 50 bucks. No wonder no one buys them. Anyway, a discount at checkout takes it down to $0. Enjoy your speaker, and the news is out. Hey! 
Hey folks, remember a couple of episodes ago when I told you about a new podcast pick segment I was bringing to the show? Well, I'm still doing that, but I'm changing the name because I had already come up with this name and then I kind of forgot about it. But I just remembered it, so this is what we're going to call this segment, Tech Yeah! Because it's tech and I'm excited about it. And for this week's Tech Yeah, we've got a cool charger from RAV Power. And right now you're thinking, wow, a charger. That's exciting and sure i get that but the reason i'm excited for this is because of one word ganfast yes it's kind of a made-up word but it's still a word gan stands for gallium nitride which is the main component of this charger gallium nitride is a silicone alternative that allows for higher power delivery in a smaller package rav power sent me their 90 watt ganfast charger with two usb type c power delivery ports the charger is not tiny not by any stretch of the imagination but it's a lot easier to tote around than that brick on a string and thanks to michael fisher for that term by the way the charger that my Lenovo ThinkPad came with. Plus, there's a second USB port in there to charge my phone or whatever else I need. This thing pumps out 90 watts, which is just awesome power delivery in a small package. It definitely has become my full-time travel charger. So yeah, it's not the most exciting tech in the world, except for the GAN part. That's really exciting because higher output at smaller sizes will lead to revolutions in this field, and companies like RAV Power will be the machete slicing their way, making trails for the rest of us to follow. You can pick one up for yourself with a link at Benefit of dow.com or in the show notes and as always if you grab one with that link the podcast may get a part of that sale and we thank you for that but for now let's get back to the podcast Oh, my dear Android, what for art thou without Google? Google is at the heart of the Android experience. So what happens when you take Google away? Do you get a car with no engine, or is it more like a centipede with a leg missing? You won't be able to buy the Huawei P40 Pro in the United States, so I called upon the Canadians, and one of my favorites answered the call. And just a quick note, since the time of this recording, President Trump has extended Huawei's time on the entity list for another year, so... Ouch! We don't talk about that in this conversation, but we do find out what it's like to live a Googleless Android experience and what the road ahead looks like for Huawei. Our next guest on the Benefit of a Doubt podcast is a true Canadian techie, having started his writing career at Mobile Syrup. After transitioning over to Android Central, he's been managing that site for Mobile Nations and Future for the past four years. He's also a fellow podcaster and makes regular appearances on TV, radio, and print, which means he's basically everywhere. And he's got one of the cutest pooches in the world. Daniel Bader, managing editor and host of the Android Central podcast, welcome to my little corner of the web. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. It's great to be here. Finally, to be on your uh, on on your show. I know, I know. We've 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 made passes like ships passing in the night a couple of times, but we never were able to pull into the same dock. But here we are, and it's going to be great. And the main reason that I wanted to talk to you was because you wrote a feature about a month ago or so where you were talking about the Huawei P40. And you were doing a, a like a hands-on review for it because you had only had it for like 36 hours at the time. And you had some good things to say about it, which is great. But I wanted to talk about like the software side of things because the Huawei P40, for those of you who are not familiar, 
ships without Google services, and it ships to Western markets like Canada without Google services. And I specifically wanted to talk about a Google-less Android phone. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing that exists. So yeah, so I wanted to start off, if you could just give me kind of like a high level, you've had the phone now for about a month or so. Is it still your daily driver today? Because I know you finished off that article by saying, I'm going to keep it around for a while. I can't, I can't, man. I, I just can't do it. I um, I keep okay. coming back to it every few days and trying to reignite the passion. Um, but it's re- it's not realistic, Adam. I rely too much on Google services. Um, and as I wrote in the article, and I've written in a, a bunch of subsequent articles and, and kind of uh, tweets and, and whatnot, I, I really do think the issue with uh, lacking Google services is not the P40 P40 Pro's main problem. It's the lack of Firebase-based notifications. So, hmm, okay. the the way that the the way that Google mobile services work, um, they they obviously, you know, provide the the, nece- the necessities of life for Google's clients, right? Like Gmail, Google Maps, um, you know, et cetera, Google Photos, and all that backend syncing happens without you really knowing it. It just it's just there. It's magic. It works, but it there's just this, works most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but the other part of it is something called Firebase, and it's basically a, a developer backend that Google, acqu- it was a company that Google acquired a few years ago. And you, you used to hear about Google's push services having problems occasionally. You know, if you, um, you, you wouldn't receive notifications in an app or something, and it was Google's backend servers were to blame or they were slow, or they were backed up, or whatever. And Google bought Firebase and basically transitioned all of its notification services to this really robust uh, framework that other apps then plug into. So if you rely on Google Play services, you can get access to things like Maps and whatnot, but you also get access to Firebase's really like just rock-solid notifications. And a Mm. lot of apps that I use every day, like Twitter, and especially Slack, rely on Firebase to send notifications. Gotcha. So now the Huawei P40, from a hardware perspective, is a very attractive phone, like both physically attractive and, you know, just what the hardware offers in terms of, you know, processing power, camera especially. And so then the question is, is that hardware enough? And I'm, I think I already know what your answer is, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Is that hardware enough to lure away a Western audience into the Huawei ecosystem such as it exists today? Well, it depends on your use case. So I'm going to, I'm going to hedge a little bit because it's, unlikely that anybody in the United States is ever going to be able to buy this phone in a way that isn't kind of through some shady third-party seller or through a European uh, reseller or something like that. But in Canada, where I live, it will go on sale next month at all of the major carriers. It's going to be backed by a massive marketing campaign, and it'll be a flagship alongside the Galaxy S20 and um, you know all the all the, the OnePlus A Pro and all all the latest and greatest, right? And yeah, if you don't, if if you're able to sort of sluice off some of those dependencies, you'll probably be okay. I'm 
I'm thinking, you know, if you can move away from relying on Google services and you don't need the apps that use Firebase for notifications or you're just not a notification hound like me, right. you should be okay. Um, but the the growing pains are are significant and and they're they're really some of them are really annoying you know um, and they're they come in unexpected places like I can't use Todoist as my productivity app on a Huawei phone because it relies on Play Services and it gives it throws an error and it just shuts down. The mm. irony though, Adam, is that you can mm. actually download. Todoist from the Huawei app gallery, and it still doesn't oh. work. Oh. Right. So <laughs> there are ironic. apps available on the app gallery, which Huawei endorses, that that don't have Huawei managing um, mobile services hooks, that still right. rely on Google, man, uh, Google, Google mobile services hooks. And there's nothing Huawei will do about it because they just want the stats right now. Right. Rather oh, than sure. the actual user experience. And that's a problem. They want the flash and not the substance. That makes sense. Okay. So so what happens like now I don't know about you, but I tie everything to my Google account. Things like Todoist, things like my garage door opener, things like that. You know, I always use the login with Google button, you know, that you know, so I don't have to remember, you know, which Gmail address I use and passwords and yada yada yada. So like that has to all completely break down when you're working with a Huawei phone, doesn't it? So, yeah, single sign-on with Google won't work, obviously. Um, right. There are some apps which will pull you into a mobile browser. So um, you'll go into Huawei's browser and you'll, you're able to log into Google that way. And, and then sometimes the API hooks back into the app but sometimes mm. it doesn't. So okay. again, that's an inconsistency that you may experience and have to overcome. The other part gotcha. of it is that if the app won't let you do that, uh, you know, if you if you have used Google as a single sign-on, you'll have to go into the back end of that service in another way, say through a web browser, and then disconnect Google as your main account. And some services don't let you even do that without shutting down the account or sending them an email. Yeah. So now one part of your article, you mentioned that Microsoft is very well represented in the app gallery, although missing OneDrive, and there were a couple of others that were not showing up. So like, and and I understand that that's because Microsoft has an arrangement with the government that they can work with Huawei on Windows laptops, and for some reason they can put stuff in the app gallery. So, like, can you replace a lot of Google services with a lot of Microsoft services? Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. And if if you are already all in on Microsoft, you should be fine. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where. Google does a lot of the hard work, as I said, to sync your contacts, your uh, calendar, your email, things like that. It's built into the operating system. When you're using something like Outlook Mobile, it's not necessarily baked into the OS, but it's baked into the app. So if you have a right. bunch of Microsoft apps, you know, if you if you use the new unified Office app plus Outlook, you're able to sync between those easily. It doesn't matter um, okay. that you don't have Google services. And I tried that. You know, I've been using Outlook Mobile. 
I've been using Office instead of Google Docs, and it works great. The, the only problem comes up when you want to sync back to the cloud. You know, I, my, my whole company uses Google Docs. Uh, yeah. I then have to go in and convert content. Uh, I have to upload a, a DocX to Google Drive manually um, using, you know, I, have, I basically have to upload it to Dropbox first or some other cloud service or OneDrive, transfer it over to Google Drive, and then make my Google Docs account see it on the web when I want to edit it because sounds terrible. you know collaborative <laughs> collaboratively nobody at my company wants to pander to me for you know office you know using office 365 or microsoft um 365 because <laughs> I'm the one schmo who's using <laughs> a Huawei phone without GMS. So it, it's just, that's the kind of thing that you're also going to have to bump into that very few people in your life are going to want to put up with your crap right. when you ask them to start using OneDrive instead of Google Docs or something like that. And, and let's be clear, you are the managing editor of Android Central and your employees are like, whatever, bro. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't have that happen. much power. Let's be clear. I work for a very big company and as a company, we have decided to use Google Docs, uh, G Suite, Slack. I mean, all of these decisions were out of my control. And right. I'd imagine that unless you are a CTO, they're out of your control too, right? Okay. Well, first of all, I should mention that I am never going to let anything like logic get in the way of a good joke. So I appreciate you <laughs> trying, though. So I'm sorry. Um, I'm, a, I'm a very rational person. Hey there, enjoying this interview? Did you know that there's over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up in the bonus version? The full interview is available to my patrons over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like uncut interviews, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of a doubt. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt there are more great options for helping me out at benefit of slash support that's benefit of slash support you'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefit of slash support i hope you visit i hope you support and as always i thank you for listening there is now we just actually we just aired when 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 you and I are recording this, I'm not positive when it's going to go to air. But when we are recording this, I just aired my state of Android in 2020 with Jason Howell and Florence Ion. And during that discussion, we got into talking about like, is Android Google is Google Android? You know it, how we, we use the terms Google and Android basically interchangeably throughout that entire conversation. And when you throw Huawei into the mix, you can't do that. They are two very distinctly separate entities. Now, I bring that up for a couple of reasons. First of all, one particular entity that came up during our conversation that has demonstrated a fair amount of success in separating the Android from the Google is Amazon in its line of Fire tablets. And I'm kind of wondering, is there an Amazonian type of strategy that Huawei could employ in order to put more butts in the seats, as it were? I don't think so. And only because people that use Android phones have come to rely on Google services. I think that is part and parcel with the buying decision. I think... Um, it's it's probably rare 
that somebody buying an Android phone today is buying their first Android phone. So it's either, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's more like we know based on numbers that there are more people switching from Android to iOS in North America than the other way around. It's not true in Europe. It's not true in Asia. The likelihood, as I said, of somebody going to an Android phone for the first time in 2020 is unlikely unless you're a really young person or a really old person who's getting their or is inheriting or buying their first smartphone. Um, Please, and while even that, my kids are on their second Android phones by now. Right. And, and I mean, like, that's that's the thing is that if you there there is still a market for uh, for new people getting into the the smartphone game, but it's not as big as it used to be. Five years right. ago, the the potential growth in, in smartphones was massive compared to what it is today. Right, right. So do you think that, well, okay, so would it be a more successful strategy for Huawei to go after iOS users that are thinking about switching to Android? Or would it be more successful for Huawei to focus on Android users looking for something new that isn't iOS? Right. That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, the reality is that the iPhone is actually a really good Google phone. So, you know, Google's <laughs> got a lot of, I mean, all of Google's apps basically are on iOS, but Google has also created hooks between the apps so that if you have Google Docs and you've logged into Gmail or the Google app, you can just log, you can just open Docs for the first time and you'll be logged into that same account. I think potentially getting iOS users onto the Huawei train by focusing on the camera and the fact that the screen is beautiful and that the bot like the just the hardware is infallible is a decent opportunity but again like it's this is a phone that's really only available widely in in the west in europe and android is is by far and away the bigger player there it's you know in some countries like spain it's a 90 to 10 market share for android to ios so it really is about trying to appeal to existing Huawei users in the UK, in, in places like uh, Italy, in, in Germany, Huawei has like a 20, 30% market share in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's people that have a P10 or a Mate 10 or something that are looking to upgrade. Huawei is trying to get those people to upgrade to the P40 by offering things like phone clone and really... Uh, easy hands-on upgrade experiences through the carrier stores and just kind of as much hand-holding as physically possible to get you to where you were without Google services on board. Let's ask the honest question here. Are they wasting their time bringing their phones to the, to the West without Google services? Yeah, a little bit. I, I think there's, a, there's, there's this stubborn, uh, you know, the company has a stubborn streak. It does not listen to reason. Because okay. in the past, it's never had to because it's just thrown money at the problem and it's won every single time. Funny uh, how that works. <laughs> but the issue is that it can't win when Trump is, on, is, is not on, on board. And, and that, is a, that is a massive issue for Huawei, right? As long as they are on the entity list, as long as they are prohibited from working directly with U.S. companies, this is a problem that they cannot throw money at. The app gallery is not going to magically get every single U.S.-based app because legally, they're not really allowed to work with U.S. companies. So let's assume, let's just play a little imagination game. Tomorrow, 
Huawei comes off the entity list and suddenly it can start working with Google again. Does Huawei just crumple up everything, toss it over its shoulder and jump back into bed with Google? Or do you think Huawei's here to stay the course in the event that something like this ever happens again? So the recent launch of the P30 Pro 2020 edition or new edition, whatever it's called, is mm-hmm. probably a good indicator of what the company would do if and when it is removed from the entity list. So if you look at the press release that Huawei issued for this phone, it's basically an updated colorway of the P of, of the uh, P30 Pro. Mm-hmm. And it says in the press release that it has the benefit of both Google Play services or Google mobile services and Huawei's app gallery, that you have double the choice of where you can get your apps. And I think that is really what's, what, what it's going to be, is that the app gallery uh, strategy is going to be this independent thing because it's already there. It's already It, it already exists for the Chinese market because there mm-hmm. are no Google services in China. Um App Gallery is just going to continue to become this behemoth app store where it sucks up every possible app so that it can claim that it is, you know, X times larger than it was a year before and that it's almost as big as the Play Store and and the Apple App Store. And then, you know, independently, it's going to work with Google to try to get access to the Play Store. So now that we've played pretend and we've said Google can come back and they can be happy together, what what's the ro- what's the realistic road ahead for Huawei? If assuming that they stay on the entity list and Google can never come back to them, how do they how do they manage this? Do they just keep on keep on keeping on and and just keep building the App Store as much as they can? Yeah, I mean, they're going to continue doing that. I spoke on the record to the person in charge of the app gallery here in Canada. Canada has not banned Huawei from its 5G networks yet. They're waiting on a decision. Uh, well, they they were kind of waiting on a decision from the UK. And then the UK earlier this year was like, sure, you can come a little bit, but not a, like you can, you, could, you could be on 20% of our network, but you can't be on the core. Huawei has a pretty big presence here. They give a lot of money to Canadian universities uh, in, in for research and development. So it's very unlikely that Huawei is just going to disappear. And the reason I bring this up is because wh- Canada is it, is as close to the U.S. as Huawei is going to get. And a lot of its research <laughs> houses moved north when they were officially kicked out last year. So what, what it looks like is that they're going to start working with Canadian developers, and they already have, to bring those experiences to the app gallery. They're going to continue working with European developers to bring those experiences to the app gallery. And they're already working with like the the Times UK, the publisher behind uh, the Sunday Times and a lot of the other, and the, the, the Sun tabloid there to bring official apps to app gallery in the UK. Um, and then obviously there's China and China is still Huawei's biggest market. It's been, it, it's, it's been, um, challenged pretty successfully by by Xiaomi, Oppo, and Vivo. But Huawei is still massive in China, and the growth potential there is still huge because of 5G. So I don't think it's going to it's ever going to abandon the App Gallery project. But after a couple of years of, co- of sort of flailing, it may pull back on some of that investment and just continue focusing on China. And eventually, you know, if things get really, really bad, 
for Huawei. They may just pull out of the West entirely from a handset perspective. Daniel, thank you very much for coming on here. I know that we're uh, kind of up against the clock here, but I definitely, now that we've talked about everything that Huawei is going to be has done and can do going forward, I want to go ahead and roll out the red carpet for you, my friend. And if you could just tell the audience where we can find you, what you're doing, and the exciting projects you have coming up, anything like that, the floor is yours. Well, I'm on a Benefit of the Dowd podcast right now, which is pretty damn cool. Thank you for having me. Oh, um, you're so sweet. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm kind of like, I'm just trying to survive like everybody else. I, I, I live and breathe this stuff, but I'm, you know, at home with my, with my toddler and my wife, and we're trying to balance this, you know, pandemic life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Android Central is, is just, it's, it's a, it's a boat, right? Like it's like any big tech publication we just try to keep it afloat every day and hope that we do good work uh i like to think we do the one thing that we're working on if uh if you are interested because io didn't happen this year we're putting together sort of like a a mini io project where we're talking to developers about what their plans are for 2020 in light of work from home in light of like all of these changes that have uh, been forced on them uh, and how they're adapting and what the what it's like developing for Android in 2020 and what they're looking forward to in Android 11. So that's going to come in the next couple of weeks. We're trying to roll it out in the days before the June 3rd Android 11 beta announcement. So look okay. for that at the end of May. Okay. Um, and I think it'll be really neat because we're talking to a lot of really popular Android developers that uh, people quite like. So yeah, that's about and it. And there's a Decent chance this interview will air right around that same time, so I'll hope to uh, maybe you can uh, sh- set me up with a link and I can drop it in the show notes so everybody can uh, enjoy because that sounds like a really cool project. Yeah, I mean, if you go to androidcentral.com, it'll be on the homepage. If you want to dig into it a little bit more, go to androidcentral.com slash android-11. Uh, it'll, it'll all be there. It'll be pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And of course, if you are tuning into this podcast, you should also tune into Daniel's podcast, the Android Central podcast, which is, you're in the 400s now, right? Yes, sir. Of, we are four. We just recorded 473. Wow, that's, that's an, that is quite an achievement. And I hope that 10 years from now, we are still piloting our same ships down the same harbors. And maybe we can... Meet again. No, actually, it will not take 10 years. To it get won't you back take on 10 years, show. but yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll have you back on the show because you were on a couple of weeks ago. It was fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll, get you on, we'll get you back on here soon. Excellent. Thanks for having me. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I would like to extend my sincere thanks to Daniel Bader of the Android Central podcast for joining us today and encourage you to subscribe to Android Central to hear more from him. I'd also like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work, but most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs>